Well, chosen, it was the covenant that God made to the Israelites, you know. Um, oh, my God. All right. <laughs> That's great. That's all Google. That's all Wikipedia had to say. Okay. Um, Can we go on to the next question? Yeah, the 144,000. What's 144 divided by, or what's the square root of 144? Uh, The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 uh, apostles. Uh, 12 times 12, and what's a really big number in the, the world of uh, ancient Near East? That's 1,000. So 1,000 times 144, 144,000. Um, 144,000 in the book of Revelation really means everyone. You've got to be really careful with Revelations because there's all kinds of code. It's not secret code. Um, we've pretty much deciphered most of it, um, and, and it's very practical code. Uh, it, you know, it's not, you know, telling us a lot of crazy stuff. It's telling us very simple things. Uh, you know, that's basically to include everyone. Uh, there are some uh, groups, um, some Christian sects. Uh, I'm not going to say which ones because I, I sometimes get it confused. That believe there are only 144,000 people going to heaven. And they're some of the most prolific evangelists in terms of going door to door and asking. And so I always wondered why. Because if there's only 144,000, they've already. I say, uh, let's. <laughs> my chances aren't real good anyway. So let's. Heaven could already be full. Yeah, let's. I know. Let's not get any more on this boat. Um, another thing to say about that is, uh, just remember the, co- the original covenant with the chosen people was that God. Uh, part of the covenant was that God would provide for them, clear until the end times. That's still in force. He still is taken care of. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Uh, our next question, why has God slash Jesus always been seen as male? Uh, the, the, the second part of that question, why has Jesus always been seen as male, is pretty simple. Um, because he was a living, breathing boy. Um, at some point, he grew up to be a man, I guess. Um, some people do argue, though, that in the resurrection, Jesus had... Uh, no gender, and then maybe in the in the ascension, Jesus had no gender. I'm not sure that that's important, um, but it could be to you, and, and so that, that is an argument that is out there, that in the ascension, at least, Jesus is beyond mortal gender. Um, in the resurrection, maybe, we don't really know. Um, in terms of God, we already talked about the uh, patriarchal nature of the old world, um, which means men ran things. That's patriarchal, men running things. Uh, and men did most of the writing and most of the art in the time too. Uh, the Hebrew people worshipped one god, uh, and they opposed to many different gods. There was all kinds of gods, um, and they often referred to God in the masculine, but God in the Old Testament was given male and female ca- characteristics, uh, if, especially if you look in the Psalms. God is often talked about as mother. God is talking about caring, uh, caring for us, um, you know, like a child, like a mother would care for a child. Um, you see that very early on. In the New Testament, and this is kind of why we refer to God as Father, we see God as Trinity, and this us as Christians. We see God Father, God Son, and God Holy Spirit. Now, if Jesus is the Son of God, because he was male, uh, and Jesus was born of an earthly mother, Mary, then Jesus' father was God the Father. So we started to basically call God Father, and that gave God a kind of a masculine. 
Um, but nowhere, I, I don't think we believe that God is a, a man. God, we believe, is beyond gender. I, at, least, at least I believe that. Um, but that's how we came up with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because uh, Jesus basically had an earthly mother. So therefore, when he referred to God above, he was referring to God as Father. Um, and, and then we started kind of using that language. Uh, and uh, there are some people that have problems with our Trinitarian language. The problem is we've not found a good alternative. Um, because if you say Mother, Son, Holy Spirit, then the Roman Catholics will stand up and say, wait a minute, Jesus had a mother. And then we argue about it, and it doesn't really advance the work of the kingdom. So, A woman? I, I do. Well, she did. His name was Joseph. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it says, it, it talks, the, you know, the word Adam means human, not just male. You know, it, it's, it, is, it does have a masculine tense, but in Hebrew, it really just means human. So, I mean, the translation now, we almost always read as God created humanity in his own image, as opposed to male in his own image. Uh, uh, well... There, there are some very interesting Hebrew myths about that um, that I can talk about later, um, about uh, the, the wife of God and all that kind of stuff. But um, those, those are great stories to read. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, like, like I said, that's my, my approach. Um, any other? Going back to the original question. Yeah. Going back to the original question. Got the red Hello there. This <laughs> is better. Um, the original question. The original question was: Is why has God, Jesus, been seen as male? Well, Jesus was recognized as male for one thing. Um, how, why do we recognize God as male? Uh, because Jesus called him Father. Um, in God's eternity, there is no sex. There are nothing but spirits. We will all be sexless spirits. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I think it, it transcends gender. You know, God transcends gender. It, you know, he doesn't... Right. Um, and I think it has to do with, you know, the, the view um, throughout the Bible. I mean, that's primarily some of the reason why we have different versions of the Bible is they've tried to make it you know, gender neutral and trying to take some of that out. Um, but I don't know. It's Next question. Are you ready for the next question? Why did God send his only son and not someone else to die for our sins? Uh, again, this is a pretty long <coughs> sermon. I got about 12 pages on this question alone. Uh, we, we actually covered this in confirmation a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, I guess now. In Jesus, God's only son, we have someone who is all human, all divine, uh, which is different than demi-human or demi-god, which would be like Hercules, half God, half male, uh, half God, half human. Uh, and so in Jesus, we have someone who's all God, all divine. God um, could have 
basically imposed God's will upon humanity to make humanity not sin. Um, and that would have made us basically willless uh, autonom- uh, autonom- uh What's that word? Yeah, thank you. Back there. Um, uh, and, and basically that would have taken away our, our free will. God tried to allow humans to do it themselves, but we tend to not follow God after a while, so you know, humans continue to fail over and over again. So what we needed was someone who had the power of God, had the ability of God, but who was also human and had the power of God not to sin. And so that's what we believe in Jesus. Uh, Jesus was totally human and chose to live a sinless life and lived a sinless life. And therefore he, because he was also totally God, uh, could be the person uh, that could bring humanity back in, in question. So why could it only be Jesus? Because Jesus was the only person that's ever existed that was all human, all God. And that's the theological his homoousius was intact. That's the fancy word. Homoousius. Yeah. That's a good word. That's what you were going to say, though. So. Any other... Uh... Sorry, that's the short... There, that's, there's a long answer to that, but that's the short answer. Well, but, you know, you've got to think about it as, you know, there's no greater love than, you know, a parent towards their child. You know, and to me, it just proved how much God loved us if he sent his only son. I mean, John 3.16 talks about that, you know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Um, and I think that that's kind of a cornerstone of our faith is um, that God loved us so much that he sent something so important to him. We can also say that he, spent, he sent himself. Yes, yes. And he himself is the only one that could bridge that gap. Right. Our next question, uh, and this is the last of our theology, why does God forsake Jesus on the cross? Uh, where this question comes from is uh, several accounts, but in Mark fifteen thirty four, at 3 o'clock, Jesus cried out, this is from the cross, with a loud shout, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you left me? Or a traditional translation, why have you forsaken me, which is why they asked, why God has forsaken us. Um, first of all, God never forsakes Jesus on the cross. Uh, Jesus is God. So, and, and Jesus is, you know, unlike Hercules, who could lose his God powers, uh, Jesus and Jesus's humanity and his divinity could not be separate. Um, there are some theologians who have argued that God left Jesus, like literally Jesus's divinity left on the cross, because they, they have such a problem with God suffering, uh, because an unchangeable God couldn't suffer, that that was their solution. Uh, but w- mo- most theologians believe that uh, God was totally present, and, and not only was Jesus, the Son of God, totally present, uh, or God the Son totally present on the cross, but both God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, because of the relationship they had, were present in the crucifixion. Uh, so we don't believe God was um, forsaken. A- another important thing... Uh, to notice, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you left me? He's actually quoting scripture. He's quoting Psalms. He's quoting Psalm 22.1, which begins, my God, my God, why have you left me all alone? Why are you so far away from uh, saving me, so far from my anguished groans? Now, we do not live in a culture when, if I just said a thing of scripture, that you would immediately understand what I'm talking about. We don't know the Bible that well. 
But people in Jesus' time, the Jewish people, knew the Bible well enough that if Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you left me? They immediately knew what he was talking about, and they immediately recited, because this was a song, a song they probably sung in temple every week, or maybe every day. And so when they heard that first lyric, they knew the rest of the song. Uh, and so they, as Jesus shouted that, and, and the Romans didn't understand it, obviously, but the Jewish people, you know, his mother and Mary uh, and John, as they stood by the cross, they sung that song, and they knew that that song ends. If you read, I, I won't read it for you now, but if you go home and read Psalm 22, uh, it does not end in despair. It ends with hope, and it ends with assurance, and it ends with God doing some great things. Uh, and so what, even though Jesus was physically suffering, he also was sharing his hope with his followers and with all those people. So that's really important to realize there on the cross. Any additional comments? And then we know the Easter story. I mean, that, and it turned out well in the end. Yeah. The, the continuation yeah. of that, but, well. um, and I, I kind of read somewhere too. It was because of, you know, Jesus was represented God here on Earth, but he also represented humanity. He was in human form, so he had to deal with the emotions and everything. I mean, just think if one of us was hanging on the cross, it would be kind of painful. You know, so it would be really painful. It would be That's really painful. not not fun. And especially when you I probably share that. Very Especially when you figure that um, he came here for this purpose, and when you think of the physical pain that he's gone through within the last twenty-four hours or so and then equate that to the mental anguish that he is performing this as a human for all of the sins that we here have committed besides all the generations that have and will commit. All right, our final section is all uh, questions concerning life of the church. Uh, the first question is, how do you become a child of God what are the characteristics to become God's children or, or to become one of God's uh, child? Uh, so this is a very complex question, <laughs> uh, although we just talked about this uh, for several weeks. Becoming a child of God means entering into the saving work of God through Jesus Christ. Uh, I just want to share a couple of quick scriptures that really share this, although there's a lot of the New Testament is about this. Um, John 3, 4 through 7. Uh, before that, John 3.16 passage. Nicodemus asked, how is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born again, isn't it? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I say to you, you must be born anew. Uh, one of the most popular about this topic is Romans 10, 9 through 10. Because if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and in your heart you have faith that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, trusting with the heart leads to righteousness. Confessing with the mouth leads to salvation. Uh, Galatians 3, this is one of my favorite, uh, 26 through 29. You are all God's children through faith in Jesus Christ. All you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. That goes back to another question. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. 
Now, if you belong to Christ, then indeed you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Uh, that's a great, great thing. Uh, but, but there's something else that, because what I read into that question, I may be wrong, is what do I need to do to become a child of God? Um, but this, you need to hear this uh, in its Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This, is, uh, this salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something that you did or can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishments created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. Uh, what Paul is saying there in Ephesians is that... Uh, salvation and becoming a child of God is God's work. We can't earn it. We can't do it. Uh, so it's something that God grants to us when we are ready, when we are, are willing to accept. And even, even then, you're, you know, it, it's not necessarily about a choice you make or a prayer that you pray. It, it's all about God's grace, God working um, in our life. Uh, as for the characteristics of a child of God, and I think that was the second part of the question, uh, Galatians 5, just a couple chapters later, uh, the fruits of the Spirit are these, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are fruits of the Spirit. Uh, but in John, the Gospel of John thirteen thirty-five, this is how, this is Jesus talking, this is how everyone you will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. That's my answer. I, I had to just quote a lot of scripture. That's in one of these questions. I think that's something, you know, I, I struggle with or I think most people struggle with is, you know, what do I have to do? You know, you know, how am I good enough? And, you know, and I guess you, you get to a point where you finally accept it, that it's not about, you know, jumping through all the hoops and climbing, the next, you know, another step on the ladder. It's God already gave it to you, you know. John Wesley, you know, kind of um, who started the Methodist movement, talks about it as prevenient grace. Is it's something that was already there? I mean, it it's like it was already there before you were born, before you were even thought of, for generations before you, and it'll be there for generations afterwards. Is it's there? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that certainly helps. <clears throat> but most people, process. I mean, you know, they, they, that's a fear of going into a church is I'm not good enough to be there. I'm not a good, good enough to be with those people. And I think that's one thing Christians need to be very careful of is when they feel that they're holier than thou or, you know, better than somebody else. We're all the same. We're all sinners. Well, We're all one of, I, it, it was early on in, into our time as New Life, we... We were looking at some welcome videos and intro videos, and uh, I think it, I'm not sure if it was from North Point. It must have been from North Point. Uh, this little welcome <coughs> video from North Point, they said, you know, I had a whole bunch of people telling, you know, reasons that we couldn't go to church. And one of the reasons they said is, well, I don't want to go to church because church is full of hypocrites. And the response North Point gave, which is Andy Stanley's church in Atlanta, was, there's always room for one more. Yeah. So. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of what we know, believe. None of us are good enough to be here, but we are good at party crashing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next question, we only have two questions left. How do we bring Jesus to other people? Um, so, good. It's a short answer is any way we can. Yeah, any, 
by any means necessary. Well, besides kidnapping them, and, Jeff's, you know, Jeff's actually preaching on this. Them. Jeff's um, preaching on this next week, so he'll share his, his full his full belief. But um, I'll I'll tell you the three three simple steps next week. So okay, come back next week, and I'll give you the three. You know, my my. You know, the the very simplest, uh, and and Jeff's going to go into detail next week. But uh, the very simplest uh, kind of understanding of how do we bring Jesus to other people? Um, first of all, through you. Because as we talked about mm-hmm. last week, you are Jesus to other people. You know, if you are one with Christ in the covenant, you are Jesus to other people. Uh, and then th- probably the most effective way is through the church. When a group of people um, are one in Jesus Christ, they come together and people can experience uh, not only Christ, but can experience the kingdom of heaven mm-hmm. through them. And then we call that the church. So uh, Bishop Scott Field says it this way, the best way to uh, evangelize, share Jesus with other people is to be the church. Um, you have a text message, Jamie. <laughs> it, it might, it might be God. Don't be embarrassed. We're all sinners. <laughs> okay. The the final question, and this is um, this is a great question, uh, and this comes from one of our young people. Uh, and, and it really just, it is a really great question and a, a highly political question, um, but something we need to think about. How is turn the other cheek applicable to today's world with the things that happen? That's as the question was written. That was by one of our countermands. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, we need to read w- w- the passage they're talking about. Uh, it comes from Matthew chapter 5, which we're going to go into great detail uh, starting uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, from the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what Jesus says, You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you that you must not oppose those who want to hurt you. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, you must turn the left cheek to them as well. When they wish to haul you to court and take your shirt, let them have your coat too. When they force you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to those who ask, and don't refuse to those don't refuse to those who wish to borrow from you. Now, there's a lot going on, um, Jeff. Uh, we haven't practiced that, this, <laughs> but Jeff, I want to use you as a guinea pig here. Oh, I yeah. Was so talk about stand that. up, um, stand up. So it says, if someone hits you on the right cheek, <laughs> all right. <laughs> you might. Yeah, we turn off. It says if someone hits you with, uh, someone hits you across the, the slaps you basically on the right cheek. Now s- stand closer to me so I can hit. I won't. I promise, I won't hit. Well, I you. can't get closer. Okay. Turn off his oh, mic. yeah. Can you shut his mic? Okay. Yeah, there you go. Now I, let's assume I'm I'm left-handed, but let's assume you know we're talking about normally right-handed people. Now if I if I slap Jeff like this, what cheek am I hitting? Well, a, a normal slap is, is I, I, well, I'm, I read it too. I was going to share. You used Bing, didn't you? I did. I got, I got there faster. So a, a normal open palm slap was like that, and that, that's insulting. But when, when Jesus says, so if I want to hit his right cheek with my right hand, I have to backhand him, which in, in the ancient, you can sit down. In the ancient Near East, that is the most insulting uh, kind of attack 
you can do to a person, a, a person of equal measure. Um, so what Jesus is talking about is the, the most extreme type of insult. You know, the, the worst thing you can do to someone of equal stance, someone of equal position, is, is to backhand slap them. Shoe. Oh, well, <laughs> it's a shoe. right, it's changed into shoe recently. Shoes now. We've, we've had some shoe incidences just here in the last week. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's changed. So the eye for the eye rule, which was actually a rule that sought to seek justice to an insult, uh, because what would happen is one tribe, you know, somebody would kill one member, and we see this in gang violence, someone kills one member of a gang, you know, the second gang retaliates, kills six people, that gang retaliates, and then by the end, you know, you have dozens of people are dead. At least, that's West Side Story, though, right? It's kind of what happens in that story. Um, yeah, but it, it, it's fun when it's singing. It's in the real world, it's not. So the eye for the eye rule, which is one of the oldest rules, thousands of years old, was sought to prevent that from happening. It was sought to prevent um, just over, overwhelming vengeance. Jesus is saying, though, that when we are insulted, like he was a lot, um, and beaten and slapped, that we should not seek retaliation, that we should seek uh, a meet conflict with peace. We should take abuse without anger or vengeance. Uh, the question for today, and the important thing to think about, uh, given all of the violence that we experience, um, although violence isn't anything new to our world, it's been around for a long time, is if we truly follow Jesus and seek to be one with him, and we believe his words, what does that, how does that impact you know, our, our discussions of violence, our discussions of uh, you know, guns and gun control, uh, our discussions of you know, personal vendettas and holding grudges and all those things we do on big scales and, and small scales. And I think it has, it has some pretty big implications um, you know, if, we're but, really, if we're really authentic to what Jesus is saying. Well, I think Jesus, you know, when he says, you've heard it said, um, he was quoting, I think, Exodus, where yeah. they were talking to, to, yeah, they were talking to the magistrates, which was yeah. the court system, on how to, you know, to uh, divvy up justice for things that happen. So I don't think it's for us as individuals or us as citizens to figure that out. I mean, that's why we have courts. That's why we have uh, the justice system in place. Um, but, you know, when I was talking about it, it was the back of the hand because it, that was the sign of disrespect is to do this hand. If you remember in those days, and I'm going to get kind of gross here, they didn't have toilet paper. So they used this hand. So they would never use this hand to do anything, you know, shake people's hands or anything or eat or anything else. So when you did this with this hand and you turn the other cheek, you can't backhand somebody on the other cheek. So basically it was a sign to where they would become equal. Um, so that's what Jesus was talking about when he said turn the other cheek because then you are equal with that other person. The essence of it is to forgive, forget, and move on. Mm -hmm. Can I read what I... I don't agree with the forget, though. Well, no, forget may not happen, <coughs> but the attempt is probably to be made. Can I read what yeah, I... Yeah, yeah. The way I answered this was uh, when I'm at my computer, I can, can uh, bring my thoughts together, so I have to read this now because my thoughts are so... I don't know, or wherever they are. 
In today's world, this is probably one of the most difficult concepts of Jesus' teaching that we are to honor. In today's secular world, the most common reaction to any offense is to retaliate. Secular code implies that we not only react to the offense, but also to get even by punishing the offender. Very little is promoted toward unqualified forgiveness. These falsely guided principles are the source of many of the tragedies taking place in our society today. Forgiveness does not imply agreement of the offense or for the one who commits the offense. It may not even terminate in forgetting the offense. Forgiveness does, however, free the victim from the burden of judgment and allows God to be responsible for judgment if it's warranted. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, it is. I mean, no one said following Jesus would be easy. Um, and his followers were Actually, he abused. said it would be very he difficult. He said it would not be easy, actually, quite often. So, um, yeah, challenging. You know, when we talk about these things and we fight about them with our friends and uh, listen to the, the arguments um, in, in the news and in the world, uh, uh, it, it can be difficult to uh, take a Christian approach, but um, that's what we're, we're slated with. We believe these principles are held up today and that we can live them out today. So, uh, All right, uh, let us uh, be done with that. Uh, Sorry for choking in this microphone to death yeah. twice. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thank you, panel. Uh, give the panel a round of applause. Thank you. It is hard to come up here and sit in front of people. All right. Uh, let's transition now to our uh, third part of our worship experience. Uh, we will do this again uh, probably in a few months. Um, so if you do have other questions... Uh, we can start collecting them and start working on them. Uh, as we transition, uh, I just uh, want to let you know that we have uh, combined our uh, finance team uh, is, is now together, and we are uh, starting the work of uh, kind of doing our own finances, which is exciting. Uh, so we just met today, and, and this week some of those things should come together. Uh, so we're feeling good about the processes that we have in place. Uh, so I tell you that as we head into our time of offering and our time of uh, sharing. Uh, and so I'm going to uh, lead us in a prayer, and then we will begin the final part of our worship experience, our forwarding time, uh, and encourage you just to be in a mindset of praise uh, and celebration as we do that. So thank you again uh, for all of your questions. Um, I, I hope the answers were uh, palatable, at least, um, for you. And if you have more questions, certainly you can talk to us. Uh, Form is a wonderful Wednesday night group, although we're not meeting this week uh, and for the next couple weeks. But when we start Beautiful One, we'll start meeting again. Uh, great place to bring those questions where we can talk about them. Let us uh, join together in a time of prayer. Lord, once again, we thank you for your amazing grace, the love that sent your only son, Jesus Christ, into our lives and brought us freedom and new life. We ask now that you be with us, that you bless our gifts, that you build up our body here at New Life, that you be with all of those around the world who need your love, all of those who need your grace, all of those who seek vengeance, all of those who can't seek anything. We ask that you be with all of those who just desperately need your love, share their love, and we ask that you be with all of those who need to see your son, Jesus Christ, that they may see him through us, 
all of those who need to experience heaven, that they may experience it through the church. We pray for the leaders of this world, the leaders of our nation, the leaders of our community. Help them lead us closer to you. We be with those who serve us, our men and women overseas, those at home, our firefighters, police officers, emergency personnel, those who serve us in ways we don't recognize, those who serve us in ways we neglect. Help us become servant leaders in all we do. Help us serve those who serve others. We ask that you be with all of those who ask questions, all of those who seek answers. Help us find faith and comfort in you, regardless of the answer, regardless of the question. Help us come into your glory and into your peace. Help us become children of God. We pray that you be with your church. Bring us closer together. We ask that you be with our congregation in Rome as they seek a new leader. We ask that you be with our districts here in northern Illinois as we seek new leadership. We ask that you be with all churches, that we may truly be your body. Be with this congregation of new life. Strengthen us in whatever way you see fit, that we can truly live out your will in this community, in the parks, northern Illinois, the United States, and the world. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.